want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. We're going to read just one verse. This is what going to be our, our, our lesson for today, our word for, for today. Give everybody a chance to get there. Daniel chapter 5, right after the book of Ezekiel. We're looking for it. Verse 17. This is Daniel's reply to King Belshazzar. I'm going to read that scripture and we'll go back and talk about what's going on. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. Daniel says, you, you, uh, Let your gifts, king, be to somebody else, your rewards to somebody else. I don't want them. Daniel's telling that. Daniel did not desire the king's rewards. Daniel knew the king of kings and desired what he had for him. Daniel knew the king of glory. And he says, you keep your rewards for yourself or you give them to someone else, but they don't mean anything to me. And we're going to talk about Daniel. I know that you know a lot about Daniel. He is one of these that just stand out in the Bible uh, when, when I've studied his life, when I've studied the book of Daniel, uh, when you go to other commentaries, everybody tends to use one word about Daniel, and that's integrity. Because he, it, integrity is something that's rare these days, okay? But it's just a godly trait. To me, it's, it's, it's being, being genuine and godly privately and publicly. You're going to do the right thing even if it hurts. You're going to, even if it costs you something, so to speak, you're going to stay with it and be okay with it and do what's right because it's right. And this is how Daniel was in his life. He was uh, fully devoted to the Lord. He was a man of faith. He was a man that was, uh, that we don't see any specific sin written down about his life. Now, obviously we know he sinned because all of sin had come short of the glory of God. But you know, Moses, you know, when he smote the rock twice, and things like that, and he didn't get to enter the promised land, or or David and with uh, sin with Bathsheba and had it, her husband Uriah killed, and or a number of the armies. There's other men of God, uh, even Peter denying the Lord the night he was crucified. We see we see notable sins in wonderful men and women of God, but Daniel is one of two people that I know of, Joseph in the Old Testament, and Daniel that we don't see any recorded sin. Of course we know that he sinned, but it does highlight the integrity of this man, the godliness of this man. So I want to back up and look at this background story of what led up to verse 17, when he says, keep your rewards for yourself. Okay? Turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 5. We're going to read a good portion of this chapter. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast. Now, this is Babylon, okay? Babylon was the world empire. Babylon had taken uh, Israel captive and Ju Judah captive. And Daniel was one of the captives that was brought there. Wickedness, when you think of Baal worship and all uh, the Tower of Babel, all of it has its roots back in Babylon, okay? In fact, they, uh, in, in, the city was walled in square. I forgot how big it was, but it was a huge city. And a river ran through it. Babylon was an empire, but also there was a city of Babylon. And part of the, if not all of the 
the ruins of the Tower of Babel where it was started and then let God confound them and it left off was within those city walls. It was very pagan. It was very powerful. Uh, and here's Daniel, a man of God, in a Hebrew, and a man of God in the midst of this. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords. So it's a lot of people. And drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and the silver vessels, which his father, it was actually, historians say, he's called him his father, but it was his grandfather. There was another king between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. But you know, you say my father, and it's really like your, your ancestor, okay, like Father Abraham. So Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather by all accounts. So Belshazzar commanded, while he's having this big drunken feast to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar uh, had taken out of the temple. This was Solomon's temple. When they took Israel captive and Judah captive, they, they, took, they destroyed the temple, burned it down. Uh, they, took, they took the good things and the valuable things out of it, the gold vessels and silver and uh, vessels and everything. And the king and his princes and the, his wives and his concubines that they might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. So this, this is the picture, okay? You can't get more pagan and more uh, out of the will of God and anti-Christ than this was, this scene. They're praising God's in the vessels that God had made to be holy. Everything in there was holy and dedicated to the Lord, right? And in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand. God's going to deal with this, okay? The same hour. And wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And the king's countenance was changed. I think he sobered up real quick. And his thoughts troubled him. So that the joints of his loins were loosed. And his, knee, his knees smote one against the other. You got to laugh because the old Scooby-Doo cartoons I used to watch. Shaggy would always get scared. And his knees would knock together. Okay? like this, and, and here's the king, and this is really happening, okay? And so the king, I'll paraphrase some of it, the king commands for all his astrologers and soothsayers and magicians, because he had a court full of them, bring those guys in and see who can make, uh, interpret what's going on, uh, what's this hand is written on the wall. I want to know what it says, because he didn't know what the writing was. And he says in verse 7, Whosoever shall read the writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet, so there's three things, and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. This was big time. Okay? This was a huge reward. So they bring in all these astrologers and everybody, all the king's wise men, they could not make known to him the interpretation. So the queen comes in and the queen says in... Uh, in verse 11, there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in 
the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding was in him. And so, so I just praise God when I read the beginning of verse 11. There is a man in thy kingdom. God always has his man. And even this pagan queen knew it. She recognized it. It's kind of like on the day of Pentecost. When, when the 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost and went it in, in, out to the streets on the, in the morning time. On the day of Pentecost, the crowded streets and people say they're drunk or they're, they're this or they're that. There was a man who stood up and said, no, this, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. God had his man Peter ready for that moment. God has his men. We don't see them all the time. They're just, God had Elijah ready when Ahab, in Ahab's day, in the, in the drought, to step forward and challenge those prophets of Baal. God has his people, I promise you. He's not without a testimony on this earth. He's got the Holy Ghost, which is a testifies, but he has the Holy Spirit in men and women of God right now and in us. And he has a man. There is a man in whom the spirit of the gods is. That's the best way the queen, pagan queen could describe it. So bring him in and let him interpret. So they, <clears throat> they bring Daniel in and uh, Daniel comes in. It says in verse 16, and, and uh, the king Belshazzar says, And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. If thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be third in the ruler, third ruler in the kingdom. So the astrologers fail. It's the exact same uh, pattern when he was younger and brought in before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. It troubled him. And he brought in the astrologers and wise men who could not make known to him the dream. But, uh, but Daniel comes in at the last and made the dream known. He said, interpretation belongs to God. The Lord's going to show me. Okay? So this is many years later, at least two kings later. And Daniel's kind of got lost in the shuffle somewhere. And it does not have any position or relationship with this this king and so he's drinking his wine the hand writes on the wall and he calls in Daniel and Daniel comes and he rebukes the king and I'll just gonna, I'm gonna summarize it for time's sake but he says Belshazzar your grandfather basically when he was king he got lifted up in himself we know the story we don't have time to read it today Nebuchadnezzar got lifted up in himself and he was walking on his palace court, looking over the empire as much as he could, and says, it's not this great Babylon that I have made by the greatness of my power and for my glory and for my majesty. And the Lord had warned him a year before that and took away his understanding. Basically, he went crazy. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind instantly because God took it from him. He took his mind from him and he went and lived out. I think it was in the sight of people where they could see him. He's out there in the field like an animal, eating grass like an ox. His hair grew seven years like bird's feathers and his fingernails grew like bird claws. And he lived like an animal until 
God was trying to teach him something, amen, to humble him until you realize that the Most High reigns over the kingdoms of the earth, and he'll give it to who he will. When you realize that, then, then my lesson's been taught, okay? And it says he realized it, and it was seven years. His understanding came back to him, and it's a miracle that in the seven years they didn't kill him, or take his kingdom from him and give it to somebody else and say, we got to get on with life. Go and Nebuchadnezzar's going nuts out there. But when, he was, when his sanity came back, he was restored right back to his position. And he acknowledged that God, whether he got saved or not, I don't know. But he acknowledged more than a lot of people do today that the, the Lord Most High reigned. And, and he acknowledged and extolled the God of, of Daniel. All right, so here we come to his grandson. <clears throat> Daniel is telling him all this and saying, you look at verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thy heart, though thou knewest all this. He was responsible. You knew this happened with your grandfather and you haven't humbled yourself at all. And so he tells them the interpretation, says you went on and praised all these these gods of wood and silver and stone and so forth. In verse 25, and this is the writing that was written. Many, many, tekel upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. And here's Daniel giving it to him because God gave it to Daniel. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded, it's really pointless at this point, right? Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Look at this next verse. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. It's just amazing how God works. How he can take things from one situation to the next worldwide things worldwide things instantly it's just nothing for he spoke and, and it was light it was darkness there had never been anything but darkness he spoke and there's light he turned this thing around it says in that night Belshazzar was slain and Darius the Median took the kingdom and being a uh, about three score and two years old. And Daniel becomes a ruler in that kingdom. A whole new country. The Medes and the Persians. And Darius was the Mede and the, and the king and who took it that very night. They were creeping in while they are getting drunk. Belshazzar and all his thousand lords. There were uh, entryways under the wall where the water canals would come in and out. And the armies were coming under the wall and took them that very night. So you know, all this arrogance and pride, it was stopped. It was stopped when God said it would be stopped. And so the point of all this, what we want to get back to verse 17, then Daniel answered, this is backing up right before he interpreted the dream, before the king had said, let, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. I just want to stop on that, that first part. Daniel knew Jehovah. Daniel knew and served Jehovah. He stood with and for Almighty God. 
just like the three Hebrew friends of his, his companions, that didn't bow down to the 90-foot-tall statue set up in the plain of Dura of the king. They refused. Just like men and women of God over the years have taken a stand for God. Elijah, we mentioned, standing before Ahab and then all the prophets of Baal. We see Moses standing before Pharaoh after he was set apart from the Lord and went back to be the deliverer. Standing before Pharaoh. We see uh, Stephen in the New Testament standing before an angry mob that's stoning him. And you know what every one of these that I mentioned and others were doing? They're taking a stand for God. We're talking about our study, the armor of God, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. It means to stand still. That's what it means. Stand still. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. Some of David's uh, mighty men, uh, two of them, I forgot that were mentioned, or one of them, I forgot. Uh, he gives an account of his mighty men, his warriors. And there was one of them that like held a, a little... A plot of ground with lentils, you know, like of vegetables. He stood there by himself and fought off the Philistines, a whole uh, troop of Philistines by himself. He defended like an acre of land, but he stood his ground. He stood his ground and fought them all off, and he survived it. He fought them all off, and, and David made him one of his mighty men. Okay, there's something too that, that God would have us to stand. There's not an arrogance. There's not a pride. There's nothing. It's humility. It's, it's this, we have strength to do it. It's from God. But we do have strength to do it. And it is from God. And it's for God. And God has his men in his hour. There is a man, the queen said to this wicked king. There is a man who the spirit of God is in. He's going to tell you what's going on. Amen. Call it. Okay? And so, uh, Daniel... Uh, like so many others, took a stand. Tyndale and Wycliffe, who gave us the Bible in the English language so that people beside could read it who didn't know Latin. They took a stand. It cost them their lives. They took a stand. That's our forefathers. It's our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we're living in this hour. Tyndale and Wycliffe are not. They served God and did what they were called to do. We're called for this hour to do it. And countless others of the Bible, of whom the Bible says, of whom the world was not worthy. Countless others. We don't even know their names. We'll meet them in heaven one day. Hebrews 11 talks about them. We're going to talk a good bit about Hebrews 11 today. But these all having obtained a good report, says in Hebrews 11, stood up by faith. They obtained a good witness, a good, honest, good report. They obtained it. It means they got it. Faith always does it. It came to them. From God, okay? Daniel has a good report. God's word by the Holy Ghost testifies to us of the good report of Daniel, of Moses, of Stephen, of these others that we've mentioned. And so uh, when, when a man or a woman has seen the Lord by faith, and I'm talking about seeing the Lord by faith and come to know the Lord, the King of glory, been born of His Spirit, washed in His blood, made, made new by the life of Jesus. And that man or woman no longer need fear men. Once we've seen the King of glory, then we're not going to need to fear another king. And there are kings. There are earthly kings and rulers that be. 
Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, and he was a personal friend of King Uzziah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting high, high lifted up, right, sitting on the throne, his train filling the temple. And so when we see the Lord, we don't have to fear men. David says this, in, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Because of the Lord. It's not just people are extra courageous. There is a courage, no doubt about it. But it comes through a knowledge of God. It comes from being, being born of God. It comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It comes from seeing the Lord by faith. And we see the Lord by faith. What is man in comparison? What, is all, what are all men in comparison? What are militaries and, and governments and laws and decrees and prison cells and executioners? What is any of that in comparison to the Lord when we've seen the Lord? The man or woman uh, that has seen God by faith, we don't have to fear what men can do, do to us. And I'll also tell you what else, and this is really the, the thought for today. That man or woman of God is no longer going to desire this sinful world's rewards. We're not going to desire what this world gives and, and offers. The world has nothing to offer. I wish all of our young people were here today. We have some of them. I wish they were all here today. Because I would love to tell them for the thousandth time, this world has nothing to offer you. This world has nothing to offer you. We are not worldlings. We are not of this world. This world has nothing to offer the man or woman that has been born again of the Spirit of God. And I would just pray, oh, that that truth and that reality would grip, grip me, would lay hold upon me. I'm praying it. God is doing it. But I, I'm praying he does it so much more. A man who has been reconciled unto the Lord Jesus Christ by the cross of Christ through repentance, through faith in Jesus, and become the purchased possession of God. We have been given a new heart. And with that new heart comes new desires. That's really what it's talking about. That's the seat of the emotions and the affections. With the new heart in Christ, we didn't just join a religion. I know you hear it all the time. If you're witnessing to somebody, oh, I'm not religious, whatever they might say. Christianity is a religion, but it's not like any other religion. It's the only true religion because it brings men into a right relationship with God. It has to do with relationship and it has to do with a new life. No other religion. You can hop from one to the other. I'm going to try this religion for a while. Then I might I get sick of that. I'm going to try that. And then I might try the, try the new age. And it's all. You can lump them all into one. They're false. Okay? And then there's a new uh, creature in Christ. And part of that new creature is a new heart with new desires, new affections, a new love with a capital L. We have a new love. It's the Lord. A new Lord. A new, uh, a new friend in Jesus. A new family in the body of Christ, a new purpose and motive for living. That is part of it. When you got saved, maybe didn't realize it all at once, but it comes very quickly and it comes all through the rest of our saved lives. A new motive and a pur purpose for living. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and that he died for all that they which live as Christians should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That tells me right now as a believer, every believer, not just pastors, ministers, missionaries, that everyone that's born of the Spirit of God should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Right there in Christianity, 101 is a new motive for life. What stirs you? What motivates you? What gets us up? What is my purpose in living? What is my purpose for working? What is my purpose for loving? What is my purpose for achieving anything? It is all for the glory of God. It is not for myself. It is for His holy purposes. And I promise you, He has holy purposes for our lives. And, and, the, and with that new heart and affections come new uh, in God's kingdom, He gives new rewards. The rewards that He gives are not what the world gives. He gives far better. Amen? Far better. Paul said at the end of his life, Last chapter, the last epistle that he ever wrote, as far as we know. And he says, henceforth, uh, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's a godly reward, right? Henceforth, from now on, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but also unto all them that love his appearing. So it's for every believer that looks for the return of the Lord is excited about his kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it's laid up for us. It may take some time before we're, our desires are sanctified like that, but at salvation it comes and through life it comes increasingly more. Okay? It comes increasingly more. It, takes, it may take some time, but make no mistake about it. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we walk with him by day, day by day, is purifying our desires. He is sanctifying our desires, our motives, our longings, causing us to love what he loves and hates, hate what he hates. And the Lord is able to do this. And just uh, the Bible says, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read some verses. I'll tell you where they're coming from for time's sake. We're going to hit a few in Hebrews 11. This is verse 16. But now they, this is the ones of whom the world was not worthy. These these that we know their names, like Joshua and Abraham and Sarah and, and Noah and so forth, that all died in the faith, and those that we don't know their names. Because there are many more that are wonderful, godly people that stood for the Lord and died for the Lord. It says, now they desire a better country. They desire it. That is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And when it says that now they desire a better country, I was thinking about that now. Now with our feet planted on this earth, now while we're serving God, that's when we are to covet the things of God and to long for the things of God, not just when we get to heaven. This is what separates those that really follow hard after God and those that don't, uh, and those that are useful to God, like Daniel. We desire now. Daniel, right then when he was living in Babylon, desired a better country. It wasn't just, he, in other words, his desires were, were correct and strong even then. Now, with our feet planted on this earth, we need to be desiring and longing for 
what God has for us, his rewards. Some are in this life, most are gonna be in the next life, amen? But we need to be longing for his rewards. We desire that. You know what that desire, sometimes you think about desire maybe not being that strong of a word, but in the Bible it is a very strong word. It's the same word that's used in 1 Peter 2, 2, where it says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And I'll give you the definition, so just picture it. Desire doesn't mean I kind of want it. Like I kind of like a cheeseburger uh, after church today for lunch. We, you know, it's kind of not that strong, but in the Bible, this word is very strong. It means to stretch oneself. So somebody's... Uh, to reach out after, to long for, to covet, okay? So that it makes sense when you look at it in 1 Peter 2 about the newborn babe. We got a little grandbaby, okay? When she's hungry, she's hungry. And she, she, it means to stretch yourself out after, okay? So now we desire. Now on this earth, we ought to be stretching ourselves out, longing for not what this world offers us, but God's rewards, a better country, heaven, the things of God, the favor of God, the blessings of God, the honor of God. You understand the glory of God. We ought to be stretching ourselves out for that now. And so many times Christians live in the present world as though we're just part of the present world, but are a little bit better, a little bit more moral, and we die, we're going to go to heaven. But our longing needs to be now for heaven. Our longing needs to be for heaven. People are going to see that in your life. They're going to be drawn to that. Otherworldly. Okay? While they were stoning Stephen and he's saying, forgive them. Don't, they don't know what they're doing. Don't lay this charge to them, Lord. And while the stones are hitting him, his face shone. To lost men, this saved man's face, they saw it glow with the Shekinah glory of God. And he says, I said, see the heavens open and the Son of God at the right hand, standing at the right hand of God. Something in him that they saw, his longing for heaven, his longing for Jesus, his longing for what was coming next, not for the things of this world. And that is to be our desire. They desire, in that, that Hebrews eleven sixteen. they desire a better country, okay? Better is a comparison word, right? It's a better with the E-R at the end. It means it's, you're comparing two things. This is better, okay? Pizza is better than a hot dog, if you ask me, okay? Uh, better, this is better. It's a comparison. It means stronger, nobler, better. Heaven is better than this earth. Christ is better than anything in this life. His fellowship and friendship is better than anything else that it could be compared to. His love and his love for us is better than anything else. We could go on and on and on. David knew it. He said, thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips are going to praise thee, he said, because of it. His rewards are better than the rewards of this life. So God wants to free us up. He wants to free us up. I pray in some measure that would happen in your life and my life today. I know he's doing it. Like Corey Timboon said, I got to, uh, God taught me to, to hang on to, to things very loosely in this life so it wouldn't hurt so much when God had to pry my fingers off. 
If we'll let go of things in this life and let, let God come in, we're not going to miss whatever it is we let go of. God is wanting to free us up, I promise you. I know this in every generation. But I know it for this church, I know it for my life and for your lives. And in this generation, he is wanting to free us up from uh, pursuing after the things of this world. Even the, uh, the benign things that aren't necessarily evil. I'm not saying you can't enjoy anything in this life. Our heart needs to be free from it, though. Our heart has to be free from it. His rewards are better. Paul, Paul realized it. Every man or woman of God realizes it. Paul said in Philippians, he says, I'm in, a, I'm in a, a bind. I'm in a strait between two. To stay and be here with you and minister, which is needful at this time, to be your minister in Christ, or to depart and be with Christ, he says, which is not only better, but he says far better. Better, it's a comparison word, right? To depart this life and leave this physical body Whatever everybody thinks it is the end of all, end all of end alls, my health, my wealth, my well-being, my existence on this earth, to, to depart this whole earthly tabernacle and to be with Christ in heaven is far better. Okay, it's far better. This, this world is after worldly gains. I mean, this is not complicated. The world and the people of the world are after worldly gains. Whoever you meet, a poor person, is after it. A wealthy person is after it. The world is after it. Some get, get more of it than others do. There's no doubt about it. But everybody that's in the world, because they don't know the other world, the other in God, the Lord, they are after what the world offers. And even, and, and this is what the world values, what they put a value on, and the world tells you you're supposed to value, then they go after it. And they spend their lives doing it. And they grow up young and they learn it young and they go through life and they get old and they die. Most never haven't achieved nearly what they wanted to in the world and never being satisfied by what they did achieve in the world. Even in a religious world. And I, I was thinking about this, you know, when Jesus had, I'm just going to read it from John 11, but Jesus had just the same chapter before he had raised Lazarus from the dead after four days of decaying in the grave. Loose him, let him go. He was loosed, he was healthy and well, went on to live, I don't know how much longer, but he, he went on and lived a life on this earth, Lazarus. It says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in council and said, What do we? For this man, speaking of Christ, doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And listen to this part. And the Romans. Now these are supposed to be, these are to be the priests, the tribe of Levi, the, the, the ministers of God. Okay? And, and it says, if we don't do something with this Jesus and they want to kill him, right? The Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. What were they valuing? The Romans, who are pagans, they've given us a certain amount of liberty and authority in the Roman Empire. There was a whole Roman Empire, but under that, the Jews were given amount of freedom in the temple and, and so forth, and to do their little deal, uh, as long as they didn't transgress the Romans. And all these Jews were worried about when Jesus raised the dead and did all his miracles, but other Romans, if we don't stop Jesus, the Romans are going to get mad at us. 
They're going to come and take away our place. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Our place is in heaven. We've been seated together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. This one's passing away. I don't have a place here. Even that building over there is going to be a sanctuary for God. It's going to be dedicated to the Lord. It can, it's going to burn up one day. The two by fours and the shingles and all, it's all going to be burnt up. And the new chairs we're buying, it'll all be burnt up one day. And so, but, but this is all that these Jews were concerned, these particular Jews, he's gonna, the Romans are going to come and take away our place. Because what? That's what they esteemed. That's what they valued. Not a relationship with God, not being right with God, not knowing the Lord, not heaven. They, oh, they're gonna, the Romans are going to take away our little niche, our little place of authority here. And so, uh, when the Bible's the Bible speaks of that that it's far better. Everything that the Lord has is far better. And y'all, this is to be our mindset. This is not just when you're laying on your deathbed and your whole life flashes before your eyes and you know you've got a matter of days or weeks left to live. And you start getting really sentimental about heaven. There's nothing wrong with that. But I believe God wants that to be planted in our hearts from a child all the way through. I'm going home one day. This world's not my home. And I'll, be, I'll do and be successful and do whatever God would have me to on this earth and in this life. And whatever I do, I'm going to do well if it's something that God led me to do. I want to be successful at it. If he wants me to do such and such, then I want to do my best for his glory. But my heart's not attached to any of it. He can take it away tomorrow like Corey Tim Boom. Let it go. Give Isaac through Abraham. Give Isaac now. Give him back to God. He'll give him back to you. Amen. He'll give them back to you sanctified. He'll give them back to you under the blood of Jesus. He'll give them back to you with a pro proper place in your heart. And, and God will be your all in all. And this is to be a mindset that should be all through the life of a believer. Okay. And, and, and uh, when, it's, when the Bible speaks of Moses in Hebrews 11, where he says that he refused to be called, right? The, the daughter of Pharaoh's, uh, the child of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to, to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to uh, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And it says because he had respe respect unto the recompense of the what? The reward. He had a respect for, even in the midst of it all, while he was living here, of what was coming. And it, it totally trumped everything in this life. It totally overshadowed and just minimized to nothing, to dust, the treasures of Egypt, the power of Egypt. He had respect. And that's an interesting word. I looked that up. When it says he had respect for the recompense of reward, the reward that God was going to give him. It means to regard intently. And part of the definition says to look away from everything else. That's pretty telling, right? So if I'm thinking about Jesus, his friendship, his love, his fellowship, all that he has for me, heaven one day, his blessings in this life, my intimacy with Christ, his peace, his joy, everything that God has for me. When I look to that, and I'm actually, I respect that, it means to look away from everything else. To look away from everything else. And that means my heart is fixed. This is how Daniel was. 
You keep your rewards, king. You, you take them to yourself or give them to somebody else. I'll interpret the dream for you, but I, I see something else you don't see. I know someone else you don't see. And that's such a wonderful, it's a, it's a mindset, y'all. It's a heart set or fixing of the heart upon the Lord, upon his rewards. And y'all, this is not just, a, uh, like I said, on our deathbed, when, like I said, when we're, we're basically through with life and we can't do much else. So we just think on heaven. We ought to think about heaven then. But I think God would have us to think about it when we're young and strong in the prime of life or the prime of our careers or the prime of our athleticism or whatever. And, and to while we have time to, to use it for God, to use it for God, our energy, our strength, our clarity of mind, our finances, while we have time to do it and use it for God, while I can be used for the Lord, I can get up and go walk to the Foxy's neighborhood and walk around. You know, pray that we're all safe. Pray for protection. Go out there and serve God. I can do that now. There'll come a day I can't do that. Physically, I can't. Maybe I won't be in my right mind. Maybe that liberty will be taken away in our country and we don't have the right to do it anymore. Uh, who knows? But, but we ought to be esteeming those things now. Not, not just like, oh, I guess I got to go serve God. But to look away from all else and have respect for the recompense of the Lord while we're still here and can do something about it. This is not just like a, a Jesus kick that we get on for a little while. Amen? Not just a little fad. I want to read this from Romans uh, 2 verse 7. It talks about who, what the Lord in the end is going to bring to those that don't know Him, don't walk with God, and those that do. And I'm going to read the second half of this verse. To them who by patient continuance. So this is an ongoing thing. Them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. What comes to them, the Bible says, is eternal life. There's a patient continuance in this. There's a, this is not just, you know, I'm talking about fixing our heart and our minds on Christ and His rewards. This is not just when you hear your favorite song play, I can only imagine when I dance with you, Jesus. That's wonderful. But it shouldn't just be a feeling that we get when our favorite song is played. That needs to be reality to us. Daniel was this way in a, in a crooked kingdom, in a pagan kingdom, where he wasn't having his favorite songs played and gathering with other believers and so forth. Uh, Daniel was constantly and consistently a lover of God, a servant of God, a follower of God. When he was taken captive as a teenager, I don't know exactly how old, but just picture it, y'all. A teenager being, probably his parents were killed. Probably everybody close to him was killed. His nation was killed and destroyed. And, and the temple was burned down and everything. And Daniel, and we know the three Hebrew boys, his friends, at least these four, we know their names. They were taken captive and they were young and they weren't with family or church or anything like that. And he's going to a whole nother land with a whole nother God and a whole nother set of rules and morals and everything. And it says while he's going, when he's first getting there, it says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the meat of the king's table nor with the wine which he drank. So he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not, might not defile himself. A teenager, 
lot of people would just say, I'm just keeping my mouth shut, keep my nose clean, not make any problems and see if I can get through this thing. But he's a servant of God. He's a servant of God. And he's a follower of God. And he loves the Lord. And he's, and he's responsible to the Lord. First and foremost. That doesn't change in any generation. That doesn't change in any empire, kingdom, America, China, where church is accepted, where the church is persecuted. That doesn't change. He purposed in his heart. This was the steady... Uh, Every time we get a peek into Daniel's life, this was his life. Before Darius, he's not, he's, he's going to open his window and pray towards Jerusalem the way he did three times a day before time. Even though there's a law just passed, whoever does it for the next 30 days will be thrown to the lion's den. He opened his door and he prayed anyway. Because he had a higher authority and a higher God and king. He had one God. And so this was a, a consistent through his life in, in Nebuchadnezzar's day, evidently in Belshazzar's day. And you know what this serves to do when it's consistent? I just want to hit on that for just a moment. The consistency of looking to the Lord. When we're up and down spiritually, it's not healthy. I have been, we all have been at times, thank God he can bring us to be up when we're down. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm just telling you the healthiest spiritual life is going to be it's consistent. It's going to be consistent in church consistently, in Sunday school consistently, in the Word consistently, in prayer consistently, in the prayer meetings consistently, in Christian fellowship consistently. That is going to the absolute healthiest environment we can be. And the more I, I am consistent with that, you know what God is doing while I'm doing that, what He's doing, He is changing my desires. And my taste and longing for the world is decreasing. And my love for the Lord and the things of God is increasing. Therefore, uh, there will come a point if we're called upon to where we could die for the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? If, if needed. Because that is, this world is becoming like something in our rearview mirror back there. It's just way back in the distance somewhere. I used to, and you look back, I used to really love that. I used to spend so many hours and so much money doing that. It might not even been sinful, okay? And now it doesn't hold any appeal for me anymore. How is it that it doesn't appeal to me anymore? Not just that I don't do it anymore, but I don't have a longing for it anymore. That is a work of God sanctifying my affections and desires. And the consistency in your walk with the Lord all around, every area where it can be guarded and consistent is going to help strengthen that. Those longings for the Lord and the diminishing for, for these other things. If we're, like I said, if we're in the world and out of the world, got one foot in the world, one foot in the, in the church, I'm hanging out with godly, godly people, I'm hanging out with lost people, trying to find out that, you know, just trying to make everybody happy and nobody dislike me or something like that. Then, then we're going to be very inconsistent. That longing for the things of God is not going to be nearly what it should be. And we've still got some, some hooks in us from this world that need to be detached. But Daniel knew it. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Empires come and empires go. But like I say, I see the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And, and I'll read it again. He said, uh, Daniel answered Belshazzar, 
before the king. Let thy gifts be to thyself. You'll be robed in scarlet, big gold chain hung around your neck. And you'll be made third ruler in the whole kingdom. Let your gifts be to yourself, king. Give yourself that gold chain. Hang it on your neck. Go get your scarlet robe and wrap yourself in it. Okay? Give your rewards to another. And, but why is it? Because he knew the Lord. And everything of the Lord was more valuable to him. Amen? And I'm going to be bringing this to a close. But y'all, the men and the women of God most greatly used by the Lord in this life are going to be the ones that God has so captivated their hearts and their affections and desires that they're truly free from that. Somebody could have really been tempted by that. I'll make you third ruler. Think how much good you could do for the Hebrew people if you were third ruler in the kingdom. And we start justifying it, rationalizing it, right? You know, you can have a gold chain. You could sell that and give it to the poor, like Judas, you know, when, when uh, Mary poured the, poured the ointment on Jesus' head. This, what a waste. This could have been given to the poor. Well, the Bible tells us clearly he didn't say this because he cared for the poor. He just didn't like what was going on there. And the ones that God uses are the ones that are really free from it. We're free from it. And so if he blesses us with a lot of money, then we're not attached to it because he could take it away tomorrow. Don't think he couldn't. He could take it away tomorrow. And he wants us to use it for his glory. Doesn't mean he takes it all at once, but if you give it to him all at once, it's a lot better. It's given to him. He said, I'm going to let you keep this. And you be a good steward of it now. And do it on. Remember, it's mine. Okay? Your health, you be a good steward of it. But you remember, it's mine. Seriously. Your time on the earth, you be a good steward of it. You remember, it's mine. I gave it to you. You're a steward of it. And God wants to teach us that. David outlived at least three kings we know of. He, he got lived to see the fall of the Babylonian Empire and into the, the next one. And he served under at least two kings that we know of. But his true service was to unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. So those other kings are just men. Powerful as they are, we give a decree, you'll be thrown in the lion's den. Throw me in if you have to. Three Hebrew boys, throw us in the fire if that's true. But either way, we're going to be delivered out of your hands. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Even if we die in that fire, we're delivered out of your hands. If the lions chew me up, I'm delivered out of your hands either way. God has me. He's got me. We need to live that way, y'all. And the more that you and I will occupy ourselves with the Lord and seek after Him and His kingdom, that He's, he's going to be doing that. I'm not saying that, I'm not standing up here before you saying I'm detached from everything in the world. I'm saying I want to be. I'm saying God's doing it. And he's going to do it more and more the more we occupy ourselves with the Lord. We close with a couple of scriptures. I'll read this for we've been in Hebrews eleven. This is verses thirteen and fourteen. These all, so all wonderful men and women of God, they all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them. So they, they lived on this earth. A lot of them like vagabonds. Destitutes. Clothed in animal skins. Lived in caves. They, they were sawn asunder. And they're eaten by lions. Okay. 
and we don't even know all their names. Heaven knows them. But what they did to the man, to the woman, every one of them, they saw the promises afar off by faith. They were persuaded of them, embraced them. This is mine. You keep the world. This is what I want. Okay? And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. You know what that word means to declare plainly? They that say such things. They that said, you know what? Heaven is mine. You can have this world. God is mine. Christ is mine. You can have this world and all it offers. You know what, what that means to declare plainly? It means to exhibit. So it wasn't just their words. It means to show, to signify, to exhibit. Daniel declared plainly, in no uncertain terms, through his life and through his words, that this world had no attachment to hold on him. He exhibited it. He declared it plainly. And I want to close with this thought that we declare that plainly. We are to, are to declare that plainly. You ought to make up your mind once and for all. You really ought to. You ought to make up your mind once and for all. This world I, I, I determined to be, by the grace of God, detached from this world. And the only cord that holds me is going to be a heavenly cord. It's going to be between me and Jesus. We ought to determine that. And the Lord can help us do that. You know, closing with these thoughts, and you can come up. The, uh, the Levites, y'all, in the, in the Old Testament, God ordained for the Levites. When they were, all the Israel was about to go into the promised land, and they were, gonna, they were given rules on how to occupy and who's going to have what territory, right? Twelve tribes. They would each literally have physical boundaries. Judah would have this, and, and Israel would have this, and Asher. And here, here's going to be your borders, and each tribe's going to have. Y'all know about the Levites, though. They were one of the tribes, but the Levites didn't have a specific physical inheritance. They had cities scattered throughout all the land. In each of the tribes and places, uh, they had key cities, but they weren't giving, given a big chunk of land from this river to that river to that mountain range and this pasture and grazing land. They weren't given that, the Levites. If they, oh, poor Levites, they weren't given an inheritance. Well, the Bible says that the Lord himself was to be their inheritance. Don't feel sorry for the Levites, okay? And don't feel sorry for believers and yourself. If we cut that cord and detach from the world, you can still be very successful in life, business, athletics, education, whatever. Just don't let it have your heart. Give it all to God and, and really give it to Him. For if He took it, you're still okay with it because you still have the Lord in heaven and Christ and all that He has promised us. A.B. Simpson says about the Levites, he says, true separation of God will bring the largest inheritance. The Levites were separated unto God and supposed to be. We shall not have one portion only, but shall possess the whole land and its choicest cities. Christians, true separation from the world is going to give you the largest inheritance of all. Amen? Not just one portion. It's all going to be yours. It's all going to be yours and mine. David said, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance. When he was king of Israel, he could say, this is my inheritance, Israel, and my kingdom and my, my legacy. He says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance. 
and of my cup. I'm closing with this scripture. Y'all stand with me. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, Paul says to the, the Corinthian church, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Just listen to this. All things are yours. They were arguing back and forth. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. Paul baptized me. Well, Apollos baptized me and discipled me. He says, don't glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. All is yours, and yet we're the possession of Christ, and Christ is the possession, so to speak, of God the Father. And y'all, I just want to encourage you, for the, the sooner I would learn it, the sooner we would learn it to be detached from this world. And the, the, we don't just do it by sheer willpower. We need to get a glimpse of the Lord in heaven, and then we'll esteem the things of God so much better. When somebody tries to tempt us with a little trinket to compromise Christ in some way, but I'll give you this. It won't hold an attraction for us. Because like Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. Right? If we see Him, then, then we're going to esteem those things of God. Father, we come before You in Jesus' name. Y'all take some time. Please, please meet with the Lord. We, this message is very clear this morning, what God is saying to us. Say an amen in your heart, in your soul. Give it to God as much as you can, as much as He is uh, revealing to you, as much as He is dealing with your heart, give Him that much. Give Him as much as you can by faith, as much as you see by the Holy Ghost revelation that you need to surrender. You can only walk in the light that you have, but walk in that light. Surrender to God and I promise you will give you more light. And Father, we are just bowing before You Lord, I want to say like Daniel to this world, let your gifts be to thyself and thy rewards to another. I don't want to, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in my life. You are doing it. I see that you're doing it in our lives, Lord. Cut us loose and give us a real freedom from the, either the smile or the frown of this world from the riches and wealth and popularity and acceptance of the world. Free us from it, God, and use us for your glory to rescue men from the, the fires of hell, God, while we're here. Use us to glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, on the earth. All that we are and all that we have, we give to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.